I'd like to welcome everybody that came this afternoon to our forum. And uh, before we start, let's bow in prayer. Father, we do turn to thank Thee that we can be gathered in this place. Lord, we're thankful that we can talk amongst ourselves in fellowship with believers that have sometimes struggled and been in situations, Lord, that only Thou knowest. And Lord, as we discuss many things that each one has suffered or experienced in their life, we pray you would grant to each one a calm spirit, clear thoughts, and Lord, that everyone that made an effort to be here might gain in their knowledge and understanding of these situations in the lives of many of our believers and be able to learn from it and help those who are experiencing that situation even now. Lord, we pray your presence and thank thee for it. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned in the prayer, this afternoon's forum is, is not going to be one of those high-tech forums. It's going to be a time of sharing. This panel was mostly chosen and suggested to both my wife and I, who are coordinating this forum, of those who had experiences and have or are experiencing, even now, a situation where, where the one they're living with or have lived with was not part of the kingdom, was unconverted. And we have panel members that, in some situations, they, their spouse was unconverted. We have other panel members where they're living at home and their parents are unconverted. And even some on the panel members that, that have children that are unconverted. And we're not about ready to cover all of the situations that occur. But one of the things that happens, and we often take for granted that we live in this kingdom that we assume everybody is all striving to be part of that kingdom. But what is it like? when the one you're living with really is not interested. How do you deal with that situation? It's one thing when you see that person at work and you try to witness to a person, but what is it like when you're at home and you see that person every day and you have to live with them? So we have a lot to cover, and my job mainly is just to keep every thing going. I want each panel member, they've been willing to share their experiences. And I'm sure we're not going to cover everything that they've experienced in their life in, a, in, a, in about half an hour or 40 minutes. So I, I, I've already asked the panel members and said, if you feel you can talk to someone during the week, please avail yourself and please feel free to talk to them. So without any more delay on my part, I have a list of questions, and I'm going to, uh, and maybe we should start by just introducing each of the panel members. I'll start with Mylan. Mylan Katanik. And I'd like to start with, uh, Mylan and, and Herta first, and we're basically going to uh, start with the, the, the spouse, where in this case is the, the spouse is converted first, and so I'll direct the first question to Mylan and Herta. And basically, I want them to give just a brief testimony of their conversion. Why did you convert, but your spouse didn't? Mylan, one second. Well, for me, it was a situation where we had, I was had a little bit of issue with control, and uh, I thought everything was okay in my life, in my marriage. 
evidently it wasn't okay. Um, the most important things to me were my wife and my children. And I went to church because that's what you did. You go to church on Sundays, and growing up it was on Thursdays. Later on it was Wednesdays. But uh, everything, in my opinion, everything was working the way it's supposed to go. Um, Colleen wasn't happy. I really didn't understand that, or did, nor did I really care. Um, I w my needs were met. I was happy to a point, but then uh, we started having marital difficulties. We were separated one time. That went on for about three months. I got her to come back. I knew I could get her, convince her to come back. She came back, when, fell back in the same pattern again. Six months later or a year later, same thing happened. Only this time was a little different. She didn't want to come back. There was nothing I could do to get her to come back. And uh, it got to the point where she went, she filed the divorce papers. Everything was uh, ready to go. I said, I'm going to sign them. I've had enough. She went to the court. She had signed her papers. Two days uh, before that, the date to go sign the papers, I didn't sleep all night. Um, the next morning, I went and talked to somebody. I called her up that day, and I said, I'm not going to make it. Needless to say, she wasn't real happy at that time. But um, I just couldn't do it. I knew it wasn't the right thing to do. So we just uh, went through with it, and uh, I didn't sign the papers. I started my conversion. God was talking to me, telling me, you know, your family is number one to you. Okay, we'll play that game. I'm going to take them away from you. Now I want you to tell me who's number one to you. Until I realized that God was number one to me. That if I lost Colleen and I lost the kids, I would be devastated, but it would have been all right. I would have been okay with that. It took me a long time to get to that point. And once I got to that point, everything kind of started falling back in place, slowly but surely. You know, we got back together again. Was it difficult? Yes, it was difficult, but I'm glad and I'm thankful that I went through it because I have helped quite a few people already by being able to share my story because I've been there. I've done it. I lived it. And once God saw that I, you know, my heart was pure, that it wasn't just, uh, you know, doing it to get her back, I got my wife, I got my family back, I got everything that was most important to me. But God made me realize that he is number one, and then Colleen and the children are two and three. And here we are. Thank you. Thank you, Mylon. And um, maybe I'm going to go out of order just a little bit, because I think it would be effective if maybe Colleen could uh, maybe give your side of that perspective, what was happening and when he converted first and how you felt. Um, I had been raised in a Christian home also. Um, I wasn't raised in the apostolic Christian church. I was raised in another church. So I was raised to know right from wrong, but I had kind of got caught up in the just trying to go with the flow and do what I was told my whole life instead of really having a personal relationship with God, which um, as I got older, that led me into a lot of confusion. And, and um, I more or less just gave up on religion completely. And uh, when Mila and I got married, neither one of us were serving the Lord, but we both had been raised in a, in a church, so we did feel like we needed to be at church. And so we um, attended church, and our kids were in Sunday school. And um, like he said, things were going along okay, but without Christ in your life, a lot of things happen, and before long we were having a lot of marital problems, and like he said, I wasn't happy, and I didn't like 
course, at the time, I blamed him for everything. Looking back on it now, I know I had a lot to do with it, too. But we were separated in when he gave his life to the Lord. And you were asking about um, my side of the, as far as that was concerned. When he gave his life to the Lord, I have to admit, I was very skeptical because we had been split up before and he promised he was going to change and all this. And when we got back together, he didn't. And so I kind of thought, uh-huh, <laughs> he didn't change. He's just trying to get his family back together and things are going to go right back to the way they were. And um, it didn't take long at all for me to see that that was not the case. He had such a peace. And um, I think, you know, with him saying that he came to the place where God was first in his life and he lived it. I could see it. Every morning he sat at the table and read his Bible and prayed. And it just put me under such conviction. Um, I was ashamed. And um, one of the questions you had asked about struggles of living I don't know that I had struggles so much as I just felt a lot of shame, like, you know, and I felt like he was so good and I wasn't. <laughs> and I have to be honest, I toyed with him a lot. I would deliberately do things to irritate him um, just to see if he would crack. <laughs> and he, he didn't. So I'm sorry I'm shaking. <laughs> I'm really not as nervous as I look. But, <laughs> but um I just, I guess seeing the way that he had such a peace, and he didn't preach at me. He just lived the life, and it put me under such conviction that God really began dealing with my heart, and I gave my life to the Lord, and um, he healed our marriage. Um, and I would say that we're happier now than we were ever before with Christ in our lives um, guiding us. And yeah. Thank you. And... Um I think what we'd like to do is, is have Herda. Now, you know Greg's not here. We need to pray for him. This is just not what he felt comfortable in doing, coming in front of people and talking. But Herda's going to, I assume, have, have his side of the story as well and kind of relate his experiences as well. But your conversion, right. Okay. I was raised in a Christian home, and God called me many times as a teenager. I met Greg in high school, and we became good friends. My parents didn't allow me to date, so he would often walk me home and do whatever we were doing with the family, which included going to church and CFGs and uh, meeting with my cousins and other family members. The summer after high school, I went traveling with some cousins to Europe, and during that time, I had a lot of time to think. And I realized what was missing in my life, and I made a decision to follow the Lord. When I came home and I told Greg, he said that he wanted to join me in this. Um, six months later, we got married, and uh, within the next year, I was baptized. And why, did I, why was I baptized before my husband? Sometimes a spouse waits for the other one to convert, too, so that they can both be baptized together. But God made it very clear to me that I should go ahead. I realized that I had to obey his leading, and it was my heart's desire to live in the will of God. I also believed that God would work in Greg's life. I just didn't know when. Now, in um, reviewing, you've heard the testimonies and some of the experiences. Looking back, I'm kind of directing this to all the panel that have just spoken. What are those things in your lives that that the, the other spouse did or did not do that might have helped or hindered your situation? For me, I, for me, it didn't really matter what she did or didn't do. I mean, I'm just... Um, I was doing it for myself. I knew it was the right thing to do. If I was going to lose my spouse and my children, I was okay with that. Um, I don't know, I mean, what, what she did. I mean, she did come back. That's the most important thing. But that wasn't my ulterior motive at all. Colleen here. Okay, I'm not sure I understand the question. Well, are there things that when, when Mylan converted that he did that he could have done differently that might have helped you along accept what he was doing or um, things that he did do. I think you mentioned some already, but if there's anything else that comes to mind. Um, the thing 
as far as what he did do, um, he just lived the life. He didn't preach at me and make me feel, I mean, I already had so much shame and so much guilt, and I already felt like, you know, he's so good and I'm not, and because he's a Christian, he's a better parent, and, you know, and then, of course, in the church, there's certain things that non-believers aren't, you know, like I didn't even go to his baptism or his testimonies and stuff, and so things like that already had me feeling inadequate maybe for lack of a better word but he never he never told me I mean I dressed in ways that he didn't agree and I I uh, you know I did things that I know he didn't agree with and he never preached at me he just I I believe prayed for me and he just lived the life and that that basically is what put conviction you know that gave me such a a deep conviction, and I think it's true in any relationship, even with people at work. You know, you you hear the expression "actions speak louder than words," and um, I guess if I had to give any advice to anyone, whether it's a child, or a parent, or a spouse, or like even at work or in your dorm at college, instead of you know preaching, just live the life and let God be seen through your life. Herta, did you uh, have anything you'd like to add? Um, when I was converted, and Greg wasn't, the thing that made it difficult was the things that were so precious to me, like church, prayer, and Bible reading, and ministering to others, they were just okay to Greg. And so it put a real chasm between us, and um, it didn't really matter what I said. Sometimes I would um, think, well, if I only told him this, or if I shared that, that would sort of help him along, but I like Colleen, I learned that I had to preach without words. And uh, I felt that separation. I felt what it was like to live for three years unequally yoked, and I know exactly why that isn't the Lord's will in our lives. Do you, uh, do you have Greg's perspective of this that you might want to share? The thing that made it difficult for him was um, often I wouldn't consult him, like Colleen mentioned, the um, there's church functions that non-members aren't a part of, so the non-member feels very excluded at times. And um, you don't always consult them because you feel uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ, they're, I don't know, closer to you. And so sometimes, being the husband, he felt neglected or uh, overlooked and that he wasn't really being the, the head of our home. And that was a struggle for him. And uh, the cultural differences in the church made it hard for him to understand some of the practices, like why do you do this and why do you do that? What's the point of that? And um, I would often have to interpret that or, or somehow get somebody else to share with him. So it was, uh, there were struggles there. Okay, thank you. And we'll have a time afterwards for some questions, but uh, to move along, I want to go to some of the other panel members. But uh, if you have questions, uh, keep those questions, and we'll try to get to them at the end. I'd like to uh, go down to Sister Dolores. Why don't you share a brief testimony in your situation? Well, I was not raised in a Christian home. We never talked about uh, God in my home. We were taught to be good. Uh, love your parents, don't steal, and things like that. And we were told that whenever we got older, whatever we wanted to be, that's what we could be whatever church. So when the Gideons came to my school and passed out the New Testament, I read it and I was frightened. So when I got my license, when I was 16, I went downtown and the first church that I came to was a Presbyterian church and it was real big. So I went in and I began to attend. And when Eddie and I uh, started to be serious about getting married, he would go with me. And I always felt good when I walked out of church, always just so elated that I went, but nobody could explain revelation to me. And that's what I was mostly concerned about, the beast. So um, we got married, and he'd go to church with me every Sunday. And every time I left that church, I thought, I'm so happy I went, but something's missing. And I had no idea what it was. When I was in school in fifth grade, I had a teacher that used to read a Bible story every morning. We always prayed before we ate lunch. And that really touched my heart. And then my grandmother used to pray a lot. Other than that, I don't know. That must have been the Lord speaking through them to me because um, I knew in my heart I had to go to church. 
And so 10 years I was in that church, totally disturbed by it, but I thought it was the thing to do, go to church. Eventually Eddie lost interest and quit going altogether. And then when Brother Andre moved on our street, I, I had three children then, and he asked me about going to church, and I said no, but he wanted to take the children. I said fine. So I would go once in a while for uh, VBS or family night supper, and that was it. But he pursued. He and Peggy both pursued and um, picked up two other neighbor children. And the neighbor next door to me one night went to work, and uh, he was burned severely, and he lived three months, and then he passed away. And so in order to help his wife uh, get out into the public again, I called my neighbor and we decided to go to the Apostolic Church. So we went every Sunday. And um, it took me a long time because uh, I was afraid my husband was going to be so mad at me for, for going to church and becoming a member and a believer and um, that I wouldn't remain faithful. And so I just kept postponing it. I had bad dreams. I, um, I, w I was just so torn. And one evening, um, well, actually one Sunday, my sister and I began, began being serious. We didn't have a head covering to wear, so she had some doilies, and she cut one in half, and we each wore a half a doily to church. And when Brother Andre saw that, then he wanted to talk to me. I still tried to postpone it. I pulled into the parking lot. I told myself, don't go in, but I went. And it was like I walked through that door and sat down to talk to him, and my whole life changed. The things I thought were really important weren't. My main thing was telling my husband. I thought, he's going to be so mad at me. Well, my daughter said she wanted to do it too, so we went home, and I told him, I said, um, our daughter wants to become a Christian and become a member in the church. And I said, um, and so do I. And he just looked at me and said, it's about time. That is a lie from Satan. He works on us. Um, I had a lot of struggles with my family. My mom and dad said, you know, my mom said, you're a nice person anyway. Why do you have to do that? And um, my dad didn't say anything. But... Um, Eddie, I've been 25 years in faith now. When I think of where we were 25 years ago, he's really improved. He does come to church once a month for family night suppers, and uh, he stays for services. There's nothing he wouldn't do to my, for my church. He's uh, trimmed the trees and, and installed the lighting and, and whatever. If I say we need help, he's there. Um, I don't care where I want to travel to. Uh, and when we have get-togethers, it's always, you know, is anybody going to stay at our home? And uh, we had a hayride last week, and he worked on our tractor and trailer all week so we could have the hayride. He'll do anything for church, and he backs the church all the way. And he's, it, sometimes I think he thinks, well, it was good for me, but not for him. But I notice he's finally starting to uh, be a little more not so proud as he used to be. Um, it, I hope, and my other big mistake too was hurrying to get everybody saved. I wanted to save everybody. I wanted everybody to know what I know, and I have to realize that it's God's timetable, not mine, and he'll work in their hearts, and he'll bring them when it's his time. Thank you, and I just want to move down the panel and, and give this same uh, chance to Sister Kathy to explain her situation and testimony. But I also want to reiterate to the rest of the panel members to think about the things you would have done differently uh, at, during this situation that you were in. But uh, I'm going to turn over to Kathy now and let her explain her situation. Uh, like Dolores, I did not grow up in a Christian home. And I grew up kind of with a very nominal sort of idea that there was a God up there. And you know, we were down here, and it didn't really affect us that much. Um, and then when I was 12, I got to know some of the girls from our church in Richmond, and they really took me in, and I kind of grew up during my teen years going to our church, and I felt the call of God when I was 14 and really started to seek him at that point, but the whole time I was so scared of what my parents would think, and 
um, things were kind of rough at home. They didn't really like our church. Um, they thought it was a little weird, and they didn't understand a lot of the beliefs, and it was just very foreign to them. And so they weren't too keen on it, and I was also going through my teenage years, so there was some rebelliousness um, going on at the same time. But I really struggled for a long time because of those reasons to talk to them about what was going on with me in my heart and um, about my wanting a relationship with God. And I finally reached a breaking point, and um, it took some talking to by different people about different things and grace and trying to grasp onto some of those biblical concepts that I didn't grow up with. Um, but finally, God just told me that I didn't need to do anything in order to have peace with him, that he had done it for me, and I had to accept that in faith. And um, I found peace with God when I was 16, and I still, for nine months after that, struggled to tell my parents about everything that happened. And it kind of bottled up in me one day before I was getting ready to go on a trip, and I knew I had to tell them, and I walked in, and I was just like, all in one breath, and I told them everything, and I was like, Mom, and I want to be baptized, and they just looked at me and said, okay, and it was um, an amazing experience because I was just very humbled by the fear that um, I had allowed to cripple me, and uh, since then, things have been progressing, they still have not come to Christ, um, but they're more open to it, and they're more softened now from various conversations that we have together, and I pray that someday that they will. Grabbing this microphone for the benefit of those who are listening by tape, but knowing Sister Kathy, there was one experience I'm going to kind of put her on the spot. She's recently gone to CLM, and and uh, I know that was uh, kind of a touching experience with your, your mom. Maybe you share that. I'm sorry. I'm trying to be very brief today because I tend to be long-winded. Um, but I wanted to talk about um, just some of the things. We were asked some of the things that were successful in helping to bring our families or our loved ones to the Lord. And something that's really touched on my family um, have been some of the ministries that the church has, uh, some of the missions. And... Last May, I was able to go to C CLM, Canyonland Ministries in Brazil. And uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a home for children who've been abandoned and neglected. And um, my mom actually spent most of her childhood in a children's home. And so when she was able to see what the church was doing and the love that they had for these children that, you know, no one knew and they didn't have a responsibility for and yet they were loving them and the church was, you know, having that outreach and just, you know, from that I shared with them other ministries and other missions. They were very touched by the love that um, they were able to see there and I know that that's something that's really stuck with my mom. Sometimes we take for granted uh, how the Lord will use certain situations in our church and also we take for granted that we also have unconverted children living in our homes and... Um, I've asked my wife to share a little bit about the influence that she had on their lives and what she thinks worked and didn't. Uh, I think it's a, really a challenge to be a godly example. Uh, when both of you are converted, you know, when we were converted before we were married, and then to raise your children, uh, I think uh, you're, you're their first Bible and uh, as they grow up, they'll really see if you have any hypocrisy in yourself, that your children will see that. So it's, it's really a, a challenge to live godly, like everyone was already saying, not to just preach to them, but to live, um, to live your life, you know, the way uh, God wants you to. Uh, especially as our, ch our children all converted in their early teens. And I think the, the time that it really hit me is when they came and told us that they wanted to convert. And, uh, you know, you would tell them how they should read their Bible and stuff like that, and then you start looking at your own life. You know, are you doing it? You know, you know what they should do now. How about you? Are you being the example? So that, it really, you know, brought me closer to the Lord through each one of their conversions. Uh, another uh, challenge is to apologize to them when you, you know, when you know that you did wrong. 
Um, the greatest influences, uh, I don't know if these are all in the order, but uh, one of the things in our household, uh, whenever we would talk to our children, we never said, if you convert, you know, this or that. It was always when you convert. So we always, I mean, in their mind, as they were growing up, it was never a question, you know, will I convert or won't I convert? So that was one of them. Another, I think, a very, very important part that I grew up with and we tried to do with our children is church attendance. Anytime anything was going in church, you know, there were no excuses, no homework or nothing like that. You did that afterwards or before or something. So they always had to attend any church uh, things. Another one was camp. Um, sometimes that was our only vacation. Uh, we could only, you know, afford one or something. So camp was our, uh, was our, uh, our vacation for the year. And uh, um, as far as I know, they've always, you know, always come to camp. Uh, another, I think, uh, influence for us, it was uh, the homeschooling we did. That really, um, really, I think, helped a lot. Uh, another one was having church friends. None of them really had real close friends from, you know, school or anywhere else. Most of their friends were from church. Uh, traveling to other churches and making friends there also in other cities of our churches. Um, and through all this, I think keeping open lines of communication with them all the time. Thank you. And I'd like to go down the panel uh, one more time, actually. They're, they're very obedient. They're being very brief. And I, I was hoping I wouldn't have to say anything. Um, uh, and I don't want to say much. But for those who don't know me, I was not raised in this fellowship as well. And there were some difficulties that I experienced as well similar to Sister Kathy. And I just want to share briefly that on the, on the day of my baptism, uh, my, my mother, violently, I want to say violently, but I'm probably not the, the, the word. She, she reacted in, in a way I didn't expect and, and, and wrote some letters to our elders and so forth. And she publicly let her position be known, and she presented that with me uh, the night I was supposed to give my testimony. And I, I can remember going to Brother George on his doorstep in tears, um, just feeling like this wasn't going to happen. And I remember how he consoled me during that time. And it is difficult knowing that you're in a situation where you're not really doing what your parent wants you to do, following the Lord and what he wants you to do was not an easy thing. But I'm thankful to say that I had that determination, and there were many in the church who consoled me and encouraged me during that time. Just to give you a perspective, we live in Richmond, Virginia, I grew up most of my life in Mansfield. And when we went to, to live in Virginia, we lived in Virginia about three years or so when we, when we had this idea, and I'll give my wife the credit, as we were looking for houses, why not ask your mom to come live with us? Now, I should say that while we lived in Mansfield, we could see my mom and how she changed her perspective of the church. Uh, she actually started to come once the, the children were born and she, she would come to uh, special Sunday school events and programs and so forth. But probably the biggest change has been when we left to go to Virginia, we asked if she would like to live with us. And to my sh almost shock, she said, yes. I, I had to ask her again. <laughs> um, and, and, of course, then she started to, to waffle a little bit, but she now lives with us. We have built on a small little suite, yeah, I was trying to think of the right word, that, that she lives in. And it's interesting how she has, she doesn't come to church on a regular basis, I will say that, but she does come for special events. But she does know all of the young people in our church. I don't. I don't think there's anyone in, in our church who, who uh, especially the young people, because they're at our house all the time, that she doesn't know and they all know her. 
and I've seen some big changes, huge changes in her attitude. I remember when I first felt the conviction to, t to share the gospel with her, I, I tried to convince her right up front that she needed to repent, and that didn't work. I, I got blasted, let me just say it that way. Um, and just to reiterate some of the, what the other panel members have said, it was more important over my lifetime to demonstrate it to her. That's what changed her heart. That's what made the difference. And she has made some incredible changes. I, I don't know how long this is going to last, but she, she was a chain smoker, and she's now completely quit. Um, that is miraculous to me. I, you know, we're, we're thankful for that. And I could go on, but I want to, that was my situation. And what I'd like to, I guess, go back to the panel members now and ask, and uh, you've had a little time to think about it, what are some of the things that you might have done differently? And then I also want to follow up with some questions on how the church might have helped your situation or maybe even hindered it. So answer those questions however you'd like. Well, for me, for me the church was a refuge. Um, that's where I would go to uh, get away from the struggles that were going on at home because uh, we did get back together again, and we were, I was still going through my conversion. So that was my um, escape. That was where I went. That's where I could go and not worry about things and just go to thank God for giving me the opportunity to go through what I was doing. Agree with that, that the church was really a help, that uh, it provided a social life for Greg and I, that we connected with uh, people in the church, and that also camp made a, an enormous difference. And uh, that's where Greg was convicted and then later baptized after he attended camp. Um, what I would do differently, and Greg also, we would first seek the kingdom of God and then a spouse. That would be number one. But if you find yourself in a situation where you are married and one spouse is converted, my advice would be that the unbelieving wife should study and memorize First Peter 1.6 and make that your greatest life's assignment, which is basically living the word and not preaching and respecting your husband and winning him over that way. Well, as far as what I would do differently, I would have given my life to the Lord a lot sooner. Um, but um, as far as the church's responsibility, there were, we belonged to a wonderful church, but there were times that I felt like, um, especially in our times of separation, there were long periods of time where I never heard anything from anyone in the church. So I, I think I even said to Mylon a few times, these weren't my friends, they were your friends. <laughs> you know, they don't care now that we're not together because we were living separately for maybe a period of a year between the two separations so I guess um, for me now being part of the church um, and having one person that maybe is converted and one is not I would like to reach out for that unconverted of course we want to be there we want to be a support for our brothers and sisters in the Lord but we're also you know supposed to help those that aren't converted so um, and like I said I don't say that to that I'm beating up on the church necessarily. That's just something that I think the church could maybe work on. I think as far as my husband goes, probably what I would have changed was in the beginning years, I would get angry. If he promised me he was going to go to family night supper or something for church and he couldn't go, this came up or that came up, I, I got angry. And... Um, I don't know if he remembers that, but I remember it very clearly that I used to feel that way. Um, now, it's, well, you know, I know you want to go, but if you can, it's all right with me. And and um, I don't know. He's just much more calm about everything, and he's showing more of an interest in things. So I think that's one way. Um, when I was first converted, my mom went through the family like, and oh, Dolores joined this church, and oh, you wouldn't believe what they do there. And I've ha I had a long time uh, just living the example for my family to realize I'm not better than you, and I'm me. I just 
have the Lord in my life now, and it means everything to me. And my family is all really coming around really well. I, I don't know if they're going to come to church or not, but um, they really respect me and uh, ask me for advice. And so I'm just, just keep praying that it's going to work out. I probably, the biggest thing I thought about was I would be more loving and sometimes my family has felt a little rejected because they sometimes will see the relationships that I have with people from church. And, you know, when you're Christians, you have this amazing common bond. And I, growing up, we weren't a very close family. And so I've had to learn how to cultivate strong relationships that don't come naturally. And sometimes my family has felt rejection from me. And so I would definitely, and I you know, this is saying almost like a, if I could go back, I'm living with my family again now, so I have the opportunity to do this now, and I'm very thankful for it, and just I hope that I will be more loving and seek out opportunities to show them that love. Uh, when I was asked to think about what I would have done differently, um, I guess one of the things that, if I could do it over from when we first had our first baby, I... Uh, I think I would, we'd try to have, we would try to have more regular family devotions than we did. Um, for me, I would also have uh, started homeschooling earlier. I would have started right away instead of pulling them out later on in, uh, when we did. Uh. I forgot one more thing. Um, when my dad was ill, uh, I lived in Ohio and he lived down here. And when he got ill, before he was even ill, I used, every time I talked to him, I'd say, Dad, please read one verse in the Bible. That's all I ask is one verse. Just please read one verse every day. And he'd say, well, I might. But when I visited, I always talked with him in that. And he was one of those people that said Bible was written by man and how do we know which is true in that, uh, which Bible is the right Bible. But when he got very ill... I used to send him Bible verses when I was here. I would cut little Bible verses off my calendar and post them in his room and that. And he really looked forward to that. He had a very bad problem with swearing. And he'd say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. I've been doing it for 60 years. So I copied the Ten Commandments on papers, and I hung them in his truck. I put them in his garage. I put them in his bedroom, where every time he looked up and saw that, he knew he wasn't supposed to swear. And so... I really didn't have to tell him. He saw it. And I really believe with all my heart, my dad and mom both, I think, are, are in heaven now. Um, mom eventually started going to church with us all the time. And she even said to me, to our church one time, she said, this is what it's all about. The church is family. So I really believe they're both in heaven. Thank you. And it reminded me of, of a quote that I, I read about a wife that was counseling with a, a minister who said, I've done everything I can to try to convince my husband to become a Christian, and it's been no effect. And his reply was, ma'am, maybe you need to talk more to God about your husband and less to your husband about God. And so I, I think... You know, we all have that desire, and we want so much for those loved ones we have and do so much for them, but sometimes the only method we can do and rely on is prayer. I'd, um, is there anything in the panel that you would like to share anything more before? I'd like to kind of open it up to questions, and I think what I'll do is just take this mic down if anybody has any questions and to any of the panel members. Okay. Well, for the, for the sake of the recording, I think. To the panel, I think it's extraordinary that you took the time to do this. And it's very seldom that you get to hear six testimonies in a row. <laughs> so it was a treat for all of us. My question is, we do have, we do have a sister whose uh, husband is not converted. And I know it's a case-by-case case scenario. It's probably more like in two years, Gib, where there's a little bit of hostility where there's resentment and where, where the devil's having his way with him. So when they show up to church for, let's say, a special occasion, 
we kind of look to the family members for some direction on do we just all show up and say, oh, it's good to see you. Welcome. We haven't seen you in years. Is it overwhelming for them? Is it, do they hate it? Do they like it? We, we need to know from the families, like, when to just simply say hello and when to show the love and, and, and how to react and, and not overwhelm them or not make them feel, you know. I mean, sometimes people say, we haven't seen you in years. It's good to see you. Where you been? You need to be saved. You need to be saved. You need to be saved. And it, it seems like it's over the top, and it seems to push them away more than just being genuinely you know, loving and appreciative. Anyone like to answer that question? I'm just going to hold the mic. In, in my husband's, um, the way he is, he's a very friendly, open-hearted person. He loves the attention, and everybody makes him feel at home. They don't gush on him, but it's when he walks in, Eddie, so nice to see you. And then we kind of go on our way, and then he'll sit down and talk to different people or whatever. But he's, he's very outgoing, and um, so I think he appreciates the attention. It made me think, uh, those in Mansfield who remember George Mueller will always remember someone who, someone who, who always put his arm around a newcomer. And I remember, and he's the kind of person, I remember sitting in church one time and he, and he uh, as he would be singing out of the Zion's harp, you know, he'd be pointing his finger at the words, you know, at me, you know. And, and I was real good, good friends with uh, the friend boys, and, you know, Randy would always come up to me and say, oh, you know, don't, he's just that way, and try to explain him. But you know what? Uh, just to kind of build on what Sister Dolores said, you, you really want that attention. I, I, don't, I don't know if there's ever a time where, if you ever feel like it's too much. I, I, I think that the, every time I walked into that church, every, every person that put their arm around me, it, it helped. More questions. I don't want this to be taken wrong, but it did come up twice during your testimonies. What would have been the impact, maybe with Herta and Colleen and with you, Gib, if testimonies were not in a private church-only function? Would that have made a difference if you could have attended your spouse or your spouse could have attended your testimony or your mother? I'll let you answer that first. I think it would have made a, a big difference for Greg because uh, when we talk about it, um, he said, sadly, he doesn't even remember my baptism day because it wasn't really, like he wasn't there for testimony night and he wasn't there for the afternoon. So unfortunately, it just sort of bypassed him. But maybe if he would have been there for the testimony portion, he would have remembered that. I do remember feeling very alienated, and I remember the night that he gave his testimonies, <laughs> pacing the floors, and, and at the time, angry. Um, but I was angry about everything at the time. <laughs> but um, I was angry. I was like, you know, I'm supposedly the most important person in his life, and I can't attend. And I'm not so sure that maybe had we, I don't know, maybe I could have been there, I don't know. But I... I like to go with the flow, you know, so, but I, I remember I was, I was quite irritated, and it made me feel alienated and not part of his life, and, and back to your question about greeting, and um, there were, our situation maybe was a little different in the fact that we were separated, I, we weren't living together, and I wasn't attending church, because obviously I didn't want anything to do with that part of my life at all, but um, I would have welcomed a phone call, you know, hey, Colleen, you know, because these were people that, you know, that I had gone, and I know they loved me, and I think a lot of it is maybe in our church, we don't deal with divorce and separation a lot, so we don't know how to um, maybe to react in some situations, but um, I would say yes, greet them, call them, hug them, <laughs> whatever. I would have welcomed it, and uh, I did get some, but, <laughs> you know. For me, real quickly, I'll answer that question. Uh, I don't think my mom would have come. More questions. It's not necessarily a question. It's an experience that I just had recently, and I really feel a burden to share it. Just recently, I had an experience to visit with someone whose husband does not come to church. She has she is converted, and she's been coming for many years. And we got talking and sharing, and I was asking her what her situation is, not knowing her husband really very well. And 
um, through the course of the conversation, she shared with me how, and, I, and I've seen through her experience in the church, she has not been able to develop any friendships with married couples. She is totally only relating to single people in that church. And it breaks my heart. And, and she related how her husband had been sick for two weeks and no one visited him. And really, I think we as converted members in the church need to try to include these people, even if they're not at church. Invite them to your home for a meal. Spend time with them. Maybe you can add, excuse me, you can add to the wife's uh, role of being a good witness just by helping her out. And there's an excellent book that I would recommend for those people who are still in a situation where your husband is not converted. I can't think of the author right now, but the title is called How to Be the Happy Wife of an Unconverted Husband. And it's really worth reading. And maybe some of us who aren't in that situation need to read it too so that we can relate a little bit more to them. And, and the other thing, and this was brought out in that book as well, is that you know, so many of us are saying, or, or in, in your tone of voice or in what you say to that person, you're giving that person who is converted the guilt trip that they're the reason their, their spouse is not converted. And we really not, we should not be doing that. We should be trying to encourage them to be the better witness and maybe helping them along. Thank you for reminding me of that, Sister Margaret. I know in the beginning, probably about the first four or five years after I was converted, there were maybe four or five couples in our church that got together every Saturday night and made fondue and and just had chit-chats and played charades or whatever, but Eddie and I were not invited one time, not once. But now, you know, because he's more active now and more interested, now if we would have something... They'll, they'll ask him to come, but not in the beginning. Any more questions? Well, I'd like to thank everyone that uh, made an effort to be here this afternoon, and especially I want to thank the panel for your willingness to share with us. Thank you for coming.